Hola! Bienvenidos a Verbum a Hill. Hello. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. I am Lanky Guy 1, also known as Father Peter Moses. And I am Lanky Guy number 2, always number 2. I'm Scott Powell. <laughs> Happy to be here as always. Dude, it's okay that you play second fiddle to me, man. Am I Lanky Guy number 2? No. What, did mean, I say that really high? <laughs> I don't, why, I don't know why that came out so high. You've been watching DuckTales. That's why you Oh, I loved DuckTales. That was my favorite show. Do you, Do you know, know that? I, I raced really? home from school to play with my Legos on my Lego table and watch DuckTales. Dude, my best. favorite episode is when they did Homer's Odyssey in DuckTales. It was a, it was like a several episode feature. I think I was savvy enough to know. Man, well, I my, I didn't know either. My dad was like, this is the Odyssey. And I was like, I am educated. Isn't, uh, there's another movie that is based on the Odyssey, or there's something. Yeah, yeah. That um, I just saw recently. Um, uh, somewhere we're out there. Um, <laughs> oh, brother, where are they? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> somewhere where are they? Uh, anyway, I we're so happy you guys are here. Um, this is going to be a great podcast today. Believe us, all of our conversations leading up you to me. this recording, yeah, has been great. Um, we, I, I do want to give a shout out. We haven't given a shout out in shout a long time, out. but I want to give a shout out to Santiago Cadena. And specifically to his wife, um, who are, I don't know if it's they're in the process right now, but they're in the process of moving from Florida to Colorado. Oh. Over a seven-day big road trip. And um, Wonderful. They're good listeners. Uh, Santiago's from, originally from Colombia, uh, but he's he's been in the States for a little while. And um, yeah. Oh, Haley is his wife, the love of his life. So Haley and Santiago, here's your shout out. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Have a safe road trip. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that uh, the lanky guys can help pass a couple of miles underneath you. Just listen to it on repeat. If you're the whole seven days. If somebody can is you driving, imagine? I think you would psychologically go crazy. I think you would. Like clinically, nuts. Insane in the membrane. Insane in the brain. I, I this is the thing. Here's here's my math question Kay. for you guys. You can answer this on Facebook. I just told you about forty five minutes ago how much I hate math. I know you did, but that's why we have other people answer it. But. If uh, Santiago okay. and uh, Hillary, no, um, Haley, Haley, good old um, Haley. If Santiago and Haley are traveling down the road at seventy-five miles oh, an hour, don't do this. and the podcast is approximately forty-three minutes <laughs> long, how this. many miles can um, don't they <laughs> accomplish? <laughs> okay. Given that there is no traffic okay. or anything, except for there is one accident that delays them. And reduces their speed for approximately two minutes long, and then they have to get back to 60, 75 miles an hour, in which the car and the truck that they're in accelerates yep. um, to sixty miles an hour yep. at yep. Uh, uh, five point six um, um, seconds. Good. Did you ever listen to Car Talk? I did. We dude. have the, been referred I'm, to as the Catholic Car Talk before. Which I think I, that's think, I take that as a compliment. What did you say? I like that. Oh, I thought you said I think that's bad. But they had that thing every week called the puzzler. So there would always be oh, like a puzzle like that that you would have to figure out and people would write in and Gosh, I don't remember the puzzler. You don't remember the puzzler? Then you no. didn't really listen. No, I really uh, did. You are. I know. I mean, I listened uh, loosely. No, that doesn't count. All right, it's the 29th. Spe- speaking of listening though, is the um the um um headphones on. Yes. Catholic stuff you should know, guys. They're starting to podcast They are starting again. back up again, yeah, you guys. They, they've, Catholic, got, they've got four up. And I know a lot of you guys are Catholic stuff you should know fans. They are good friends of ours. So check out Catholic stuff you should know. They're back from their hiatus. Um, and and they're awesome. Yeah, and, and it's a really great podcast. 
They have some long ones. They're like they're really? actually creeping in. The, la- the first two that they start out were like thirty minutes apiece. Wow, I know. Yeah, there you go. Normally, it, it, there's not even enough time for them to finish their beers. <laughs> I know how that is. Twenty ninth Sunday in ordinary time. Twenty ninth Sunday, also known as uh, Saint Isaac Joe's and Saint John de Brebeuf. Get out of town. Yeah, yeah. It's October nineteenth is their feast day. Oh, but my it's son Trumped. Samuel. Isaac is his middle name. Is named after Isaac Jogues. Oh, and Jean de Brebeuf is one of the patron saints of Camp Voitiwa. Oh, so this is a big day, big day. Twenty ninth Sunday, twenty ninth Sunday. And so first reading is Isaiah forty five one, Broop. and then we skip something. Did you hear my skipping sound? That was Broop. good. Oh man, would you use that permanently? Broop. And do you see my finger motion? Uh huh. Skip it. Four to six. Okay, that's that's this that's the second part of the. Boop. Got it. Did I, so- how's my how's my skipping sound? Pretty good. Okay. You got to elongate it slightly. Boop. Boop. That was wow. That was excellent. Uh, our psalm is from Psalm ninety six, verse one, three, four to five, seven through eight, and nine through ten. And our strophe, no, our oh. versicle, <laughs> our versicle comes from verse seven. You could also just say the response. I'm not <laughs> going to. I'm going to call it the versicle, dude. I want to make I want to make popsicles called versicles in the. Sh- if they'd have the verses from the Sundays. But you'd have to tell people around you and then they'd have to respond. <laughs> oh. Thank you for my popsicle. Thank you for my popsicle. <laughs> okay. And then we have uh, First Thessalonians <laughs> 1. On, that was hilarious. I laughed. I'm really amusing myself with that. <laughs> Dude, we, we, Scott oftentimes shows me stuff before the podcast, and he's like, hey, look how funny this is. And I'm like, yeah, that's funny. Like, and he, But like, I do find it funny, but I just don't laugh. And so I have to make a big, greater effort to laugh at you. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very uh, good. So our second reading is from First Thessalonians so, 1. Thessalonians? <laughs> <laughs> Just like one, Barcelona. Barcelona, um, first Thessalonians, um, one, one to five B. Good. And then our gospel <laughs> comes from Matthew. We're storming right through Matthew, Matthew twenty-two, verses fifteen through twenty-one. Okay. Hallelujah. I feel exhausted. I did. <laughs> you look exhausted. Jeez. I know. All right. Isaiah. Eyes, dude. We this is this is to prove my theory that we never actually leave the book of Isaiah. We do. I may I never. Bet we will next week. Whatever, dude. This is what I out. know is that. Um, yes, we're in Exodus next week. Oh, Ex- Exodus movement, movement of, of the people. Okay, uh, Isaiah. Okay, thus says the Lord to His anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen one. I have called you by your name, giving you a title. Though you knew me not, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who am arm you, <laughs> <laughs> arm you, uh, through, though you know me not. So that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. So throughout the whole thing, who is he talking to? His anointed Cyrus. Yeah. So do you remember who Cyrus was? No, that's actually why I was like, I, I was thinking Cyrus Hill, but I think that Cypress. that's- Cypress. Oh, that's Cypress oh, Hill. Um, isn't, that, isn't that some sort of weird biblical reference, by the way? I don't know. 
I just always took it as a butt rock band, and I didn't like the kids who wore Cypress Hill hats. Yeah, I didn't either, but that's okay. I'm sorry if you guys wore Cypress Hill hats. The ones that I knew just seemed to be punks. Yeah. Who is Cyrus, David? (laughs) Cyrus the Persian. Now, this uh, this reading is really, really weird. Cyrus the Persian is going to be one of the enemy nations, the leader of the uh, leader of an enemy nation who is going to conquer Israel. What? So yeah. anointed Cyrus who's going to take Israel out? Yeah, what does the word anointed mean? Do you remember? King. What else can it mean? What other word do we get from anointed one? Um, Christy? Uh, we get no. we get Christian, Christy. Yeah, there's um, another there's Christ. another word though. Um that is more what when you read this in the Septuagint, it says Cyrus is my Messiah. Oh, Messiah! Oh, gosh! How did I miss that? No, one? I know. I, I'm not trying to. You trick. know, Father, Father Andrew, right now, you're not. I know you're not trying to trick me, but he's like, he's like, he tweeted this last week. He said, um, he was like, I am shouting answers to Father <laughs> Peter, <laughs> and I was like, the pedagogy has worked. I don't know why. I, I just, I have this way of just asking. I don't know why I can't stop. Dude, doing I love it. you, man. It's all good. I'm not trying to condescend to you though, and I'm not trying to make anybody look stupid. No, I just am stupid. No, so you're not it works stupid. I just, I know I, you uh, don't make me. You don't make me look stupid. I, I have a pedagogy. And sometimes I answer convincingly that I don't know the, the answer. That time I actually just couldn't come up with it. No, you do. It, and it's hard to know the difference. So, but this is crazy. So what it's, what it's saying is the Lord is speaking to his Messiah, Cyrus the Persian, one of the foreign pagan enemy nations, the leaders of the enemy nations that will enslave Israel. I'm confused. And actually, to just to just to make it even more confusing, uh-huh. the chapter before, yeah, in chapter forty-four, he called King Nebuchadnezzar the same the same person. Yeah, uh, not the same person. Another foreign enemy leader, the leader of Babylon. He called him my servant and his anointed one. So this is really crazy. And actually, that was back in Jeremiah that he said that. So what's going on? So listen to this another way. So imagine this is the king of an enemy nation who is enslaving Israel. God says, "You are my anointed." O pagan king. I mean, put change the context. You are my anointed one. You are my Messiah, O Caesar Augustus, or O Pharaoh in the time of the Exodus. Or, right. you know, yeah, I was going to say something political in the yeah, United States, I, but I'm I, not going to do that. But I mean, pick your, pick your favorite political enemy. You know, I don't know what, what side politically you guys are all on, but pick the, you know, the person you don't like. That's what God is saying. This, this person you feel is lording over you or you feel like is, is stealing your freedom. He's saying, I grasp your right hand. I subdue nations before you and I make kings run in your service, opening doors before you, leaving the gates unbarred for the sake of who? Jacob, my servant, so for Israel, this, my chosen one. Yeah, for the sake of Israel, I have made your enemy my anointed one. Okay, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. Israel at this point in their history, I mean, we know the story of Isaiah. It's good news and bad news. The bad news is that you've broken the covenants. You've disobeyed God. You've turned to false idols. You've become precisely the kind of people that you're not supposed to be. So God is going to punish you because any good parent needs to punish. Yeah. How is he going to punish? Well, he's going to punish them by taking the least expected person on earth and using that person as a tool to instruct his people Israel. So again, a couple chapters before, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who's going to come in, destroy your gates, knock down your city, and haul you off into exile. And then he says, and Cyrus, Cyrus is a little bit different because Cyrus the Persian, if you remember your history, it's actually Cyrus who allows Israel to go back. So the Persians defeat, the Medo-Persians defeat the Babylonians. Yeah. So it's Cyrus who actually eventually lets them go back to Jerusalem and actually helps with the building project of the temple. So he ends up being a pretty good guy. But it... it 
what's amazing about this whole thing is that and I think that the, the moral of the story is that God will use whoever he wants to use and whatever he wants to use to teach his people. He is authentically sovereign. He is authentically sovereign. And when you see powers and principalities and all sorts of things that seem to rule over us, even in ways that we don't agree with and we feel like are evil and are stealing our freedoms, what God wants us to know, to know is that, no, my hand is upon this. I got it under control. Because I think our temptation as Christians, especially living in the day and age that we're living in, is to look around us and, and just be like, God, have you forgotten us? Like, are you gone? Are you seeing, you know, don't you want to shout at the TV and at the news sometimes and be like, do you see what's going on here? Like, can't you see the chaos that we're in? And we want to yell at God and be like, don't you understand what's going on here? Yeah, I usually answer, yell, at the, yell, yell at the Drudge Report. Right. But I mean, the answer is, yeah, I see it. I yep. get it. Yep. My hand is on it and I'm actually guiding it. Yep. It might not be going in the direction that you want it to go. Yep. But sometimes we actually need... Cyrus the Persians. We need Nebuchadnezzar's to actually correct us and to actually put us back on the to actually, you know, there's punishment and it can hurt and it can actually be painful, but sometimes we need that to be put back on the right path. So when God says, I'm going to make kings run in your service, I'm going to open doors before you, leave the gates unbarred. I mean, what he's talking about is the gates of Jerusalem, the gates of the holy city. They're going to be knocked down and trampled by the hands of these enemy kings but I'm letting all of that happen for your instruction and ultimately for your good, even if it doesn't seem like it in the moment. Why is he doing it? What's the, what's the bottom line? Why is he doing it? Well, it's because, and he says it again and again in Isaiah, the reason he does this is because he wants the world to know that I am the Lord and there is no other. You are not the Lord of yourself, Israel. It's not your political status that's the Lord. Cyrus the Persian is not Lord. Nebuchadnezzar is not Lord. I am the Lord, and anyone else who falls under me is under my command. Cyrus doesn't act on his own. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't act on his own. Obama doesn't act on his own. George Bush didn't act on his own. It doesn't matter. I am in control of all of it. Even if you see these figures doing things that you do not agree with and that are even objectively wrong, it's because I have allowed that. For whatever reason God chooses to allow it, God has allowed it, and he's in total control. Dude, that is like, if you want to come down to the brass tax confusion of all humanity for all time, mm -hmm. this is it. This That's is it. actually where, this is where we, we are all in a profound struggle trying to relate to the fact that, like, God will allow evil to be upon us. <laughs> is that a good, is that a good good drink yeah drink. sorry my eyes <laughs> of my lemonade is <laughs> clunking around sorry the, yes um, no that's it you oh you said it so well that that is the fundamental question of all humanity i mean like that, that's it so if god really exists why did my sister die yes if god really exists why did my child die if god really exists why does abortion actually ravage this land if right. god really exists wouldn't my grandmother not have gotten cancer? Absolutely. If God really, and like that, that's really, uh, and, and what happens is that what we do is exactly what I'm saying is we pit, um, we pit suffering and difficulty directly against faith. Yes, we do. And that's actually one of the, I mean, this is such an, a profound and existential theme of the entire scriptures is saying that just because suffering is there, it's not actually, it's not speaking about faith. And that's actually where God is trying to prove himself yeah. to us. I mean, like he says, I've called you by your name. Yes. I know who you are. I actually have authority over you even then. And, um, and giving you a title, though you knew me not, I am the Lord and there is no other. 
Right. This is real. But it's beautiful that he's actually saying that to Cyrus. You don't even know me. You Ooh, worship other yeah. gods. You worship all sorts of stuff. And I'm still guiding your hand. Isn't that kind of profound? You don't have a clue who I am, but I'm guiding your every move. I mean, think of the people in our world, you know, the people that you work with, the the crazy people over at CU, you know, all the people that, that you just think, man, what is up with them? For God to say, they don't know me, but I know them, and I'm guiding every single thing they do. Well, I come back to the math equation that I gave at the beginning of this thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, exactly how do you know... Um, where somebody is going to be and how they're going to express one thing and all of these micro nano expressions of emotion and feeling in relationship to the macro vision of the whole universe. How like, and in the midst of free will, how do you actually calculate the fact that somebody could actually choose one way or another? God really is sovereign and understands the whole equation. Yes. Like, and, and understands the exact variables and that it's that, that, I can't do math, and yeah. and I think in some sense mathematicians are all looking for that. They're like there's this this expression of trying to get to the imaginative state of being able to coordinate and to understand how do I actually factor in the variables of 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 human free will and yeah. some sort of divine plan that would have meaning in it. And the, I mean that is a I mean this is the real stuff because there is a fine line. I mean there is a balance. I mean I keep saying look God is guiding every move, but. That doesn't always mean he's going to make the right choice, right? We still have human freedom. I'm talking about Cyrus. So with Cyrus, God says, I'm guiding you. I'm in charge of you. I'm allowing these things. But Cyrus can still do evil. That's not God's will. We can still choose to do things that are outside of God's will. But it's not like that just somehow missed God. Oh, he escaped God's notice, right? We we pulled the fast one on him. No, he always allows those things. He doesn't necessarily will those things. It allows them. And, th- and that's actually, that's of the essence, because yes. without that, then we have God willing evil, which he cannot do, which, he which cannot do. evil is a lack of being. It is, it is, it is a non-ness. It is, it is uh, the um, uh, pulling away the essential realities to certain things. That's why um, evil is, it, it, that's a very deeply philosophical understanding, but yeah. it, it is a privation. It's, it's something lacking the fullness that it is supposed to have. Right. Right. And that's really where the a- actions, there's still a good being chosen, but it does not mean that um, it's, a f- it's a full act. And that's really where um, this is so hard. Yeah. And, and that when we choose things, we really are free. But God is in so- this sovereignness. That's what I mean by God understanding the equation is that yes. he's actually engaged in this moment of saying, like, I even grasp your freedom and I'm going to allow myself to... Yeah. Uh, I'm going to allow myself to even incorporate your evil acts into the sovereign plan. Yeah, you have to. And that's there's a there's a, a really well known passage in Romans 13. Do you remember that one? It's the one about um, he says every person should be subject to the governing authorities over them. Do you remember this whole thing? People mm-hmm. get really worked up about Romans 13 because Paul basically t- tells his audience, "Look, be subject to the governments that are over you." Like accept them and listen to what they say and do what they ask you to. And, you know, number one, we want to interpret that in our own 21st century lens. of Like, well, what if the government asks us to do something that's unconscionable? We can't do anything that's unconscionable. And Paul is actually writing to a group of people that are under the Emperor Nero, who's about to launch one of the bloodiest persecutions that the church had ever seen, right? But what he's saying is not like, okay, everything the government says, do what they say, you know, because da-da-da. He's saying, look, the reality is, no matter what your world looks like, God is in charge. And if there's a pagan king over you who you don't, you wish wasn't there, or there's a a president 
or a Senate or whatever it is that are doing things that you just think are abhorrent, even if they are, don't think that God has somehow left that equation. Don't think that somehow that's some accident. Be subject to the people you're subject by. God's aware of it. He's there. He's in charge of all of it. That's the whole point of this first reading. The Lord is God. There is no other. It's not your president. It's not your emperor. It's not your Senate. It's not your lawmakers. It's God alone, despite all of the things that they do. So you know what? Take it easy. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. I think this is the reason why we have so many zombie movies. (laughs) I mean, really, it's like um, zombie is a mindless horde that's going to take you and turn you into that mindless version yourself. That's true. And that's why it speaks to this generation is that we are absolutely terrified of having any possible freedom taken away. We are all libertarian in a, in a very deep sense, actually. Mm. That's mm. why we have a tendency to reject institution. Yeah. We have the, the tendency to, to reject any sovereignty or, or, or governmental. I mean, the, the, the trust in the government is the absolute worst I'm sure it's ever been in our, in our country. Yeah. In our very youthful country. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm. Mm. Which is a great segue, I think, to the Psalm. Which has a lot to do with this. Then let's give the Lord some glory and honor, bro. All right, so give the Lord glory and honor. Sing a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all you lands. Tell his glory among the nations. <laughs> Father Peter's eating these potato chips, and he's trying to do it so incognito so it doesn't get on the mic, but you're spilling chips everywhere, and they're flying R- out of your can, head. can you hear it on the mic at all? I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm just seeing them literally flying out, out of your mouth behind you. Sorry, it's a fun sight, you guys. I'm really sorry if no. I've, I've disturbed all of the people here. He's doing it's lunchtime. He's I'm working hungry. hard. It's not lunchtime anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all you lands. Uh, tell his glory among the nations, among the peoples, his wondrous deeds, right? So, first of all, there's the face value reference to telling his glory among the nations. I mean, this first reading is a reference to the foreign nations being used by God as a way to show them that God is God, right? So, that's good. But the, the deeper meaning, I think, that's going on in the psalm, Psalm 96 was one of the psalms that was chosen to be sung when the Ark of the Covenant was finally placed in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Oh. So this was a psalm that was sung really when God's enthronement as king was made institutionalized. It was made real. They put the tabernacle in, uh, they put the, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle once they'd settled in the capital city. David did this. This was the psalm he sung. So this is a psalm all about God is king over everything. This is the moment that we are choosing to enthrone him. It's the moment in salvation history when, you know, we're told in, in Samuel that that Israel finally had peace from all of her enemies round about. All of the Cyruses and all of the Nebuchadnezzars and all the pharaohs, finally there's peace in all the nations. And they're settled, and it's in that moment they can say, okay, now we can finally sort of pay attention to God's kingship. They should have probably been paying more attention to it prior to that, when they were under foreign domination, when they were at war, when there was a lot to be afraid of. But now they're at peace, and now this is being very much acknowledged. So I think it's it's telling that the, the church has chosen to use the psalm that is declaring the king's lordship over everything in his, in his, in his enthronement ceremony as the one to be, um, to be sung at Mass on the Sunday that's talking about a foreign king being used by the God who is over all. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And, I think it's kind of cool. And the line here in the uh, next to last strophe, it says, Give to the Lord, you families of nations. Yeah. Give to the Lord glory and praise. Praise. Give to the Lord glory. Do his name. Bring gifts and enter his courts. I think that that typifies. It's like it's calling to all nations. Yeah, and saying exactly. this is it. Exactly. This is, this is your bro. This is your pa. This is Abba, bro. 
But it's also calling, and this goes back to our readings from last week, it's also calling Israel to acknowledge that the nations are also gods. Right? I mean, the, what was the tendency in Israel? This was going back to our, our gospel yeah. reading last week, right? The tendency of Israel was to want to put up a wall to nationalize themselves yep. and say, we are the Lord's and no one else is, rather than saying, wow, Cyrus is the Lord's. Pharaoh is the Lord. I mean, you go back to the Exodus story. God says the whole purpose of all those 10 plagues was ultimately so that Pharaoh and all the Egyptians should know that he is God. Hmm. And at, at the, I don't know if you know this, in the Exodus story, remember when they leave Egypt and they go through the Red Sea, it actually says that there were hundreds of Egyptians that went with them hmm. because it worked. The other nations, the foreign nations realized, wow, this, these people, they, their God is God. And yeah. they came along. I mean, that's the intention. So, yes, it's a reminder to the nations, but it's also a reminder to Israel, go out and say among the nations, the Lord is king. That's your job. Even to the Cyruses, even to the Caesar Augustuses, even to the political leaders in our time. Well, and, That's a big deal. Yeah, and you can see in Cyrus uh, a type of Longinus. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Longinus is, Longinus. The, is the one who uh, uh, pierced the temple's side with his spear also known as Jesus's Jesus. body. Yeah. And um but yeah, wait, was you know, he was he believed to be the one that said truly this was the son of God? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You can read the uh book uh by um uh what's his buckets? Yeah, Longinus. It's called The Spear oh. by H- Harry Belafonte. <laughs> that's that's not. <laughs> that's not though, guy. That's not true. I can't remember his name. So that's okay. Oh dear. So let's go to the uh Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki, dude. This is you know what's cool about Thessalonica is that Thessalon- uh, yeah, yeah. What Thessalon? It, it, what is it? Thessalonia? That's good. What is it? Well, technically it's Thessaloniki, but I've called it. Th- I've heard it called Thessalonica. Oh, Thessaloniki, dude. That's actually like if you could spell that phonetically, that'd be a great name for a restaurant. It is pretty phonetic. Greek is pretty phonetic. You're really I-K-I. phonetic. I-K-I. I c- yeah. Do you know that there, there's a there's a little thing that's like over your like the no. over your lip that makes you look like you have a mustache that's Mine? like like yeah like a pencil mustache. The, I do. Yeah, this little thing right here. And, uh, oh, that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it makes me it makes you look really f- cool. Um, we 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 we. And but what's cool is that um talking about persecution. Yeah. Um, th- I mean Thessaloniki is actually a persecuted town. Uh, that's isn't it? Were they? Yeah, that's they, what, that's they, what they were all. Said. Yeah, I mean, they all they all suffered some degree of persecution. Yeah. I believe it was the capital city of Macedonia. I know that is the province of Macedonia. So it's a really important political city. So on one level, just the sheer connection to the empire and to Caesar was huge. Few people would have understood it better, at least in Macedonia, than the Thessalonians. Right? It was a very political place. Yeah, yeah. Paul wrote out of a deep concern for those recent converts who were unexpectedly left alone to withstand the rising tide of persecution and the constant pressures yeah. of paganism. Yeah, which is kind of the universal problem in the Roman Empire at the time. I, ah, yeah. I, I'm sure there were specific persecutions. I'm not like I can think of the ones in Rome. We can think of the ones in Philippi. Think of the ones in Colossae. But I'm sure there were in Thessaloniki. But there's also, like it said, the rising tide of persecution. But I don't think that's why the church chose this. Oh, and talk to me now, I man. Had to, I had to read it a number of times. So that's there. Okay. And again, it's a very important political place. It's tied to the Roman Empire. It's tied to Caesar Augustus. Okay. But, okay, so it says this. It's the very beginning of the letters, the first lines. 
Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God for you, always for all of you, remembering you in our prayers, unceasingly calling to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, um, in the way that letters in the first century were organized, Roman letters had a very specific format that was used. Okay. Not just biblical ones, but I mean just letters, if you're writing a letter. And the way that it worked, you'd always begin with the signature, right? So you'd start with who was writing it, which is kind of a more effective way than putting it last, which is what we do, right? Yeah. Love, a- Scott. But they put it first. So Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy were writing to you. So first the signature, then who it's to. That's kind of like an email address. Yeah, basically. I always look at who an email address is from. So this they used to just start with it. So they started with that, and then they would always give sort of a blessing, right? Grace to you and peace. Then there's always a thanksgiving section. In every letter that's written in this time period, there is a thanksgiving. So they would thank, so, you know, you could say, oh, I'm really thankful we got to see you last Thanksgiving, or I'm really thankful for grandma's health, or whatever it is. Yeah. Here, but but here's the key. For Paul's letters, if you, if you guys go back and look at Paul's epistles, the thanksgiving section is always where you will find Almost the table of contents or all the clues that you need to unpack Paul's letters. All of the themes will always show up in the Thanksgiving section. And there's one theme that shows up here that I think sticks out. So what is Paul thankful for? We give thanks to God always for you, for the Thessalonians, Mm -hmm. remembering you in our prayers, unceasingly calling to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope. Now, what three words that we're kind of familiar with as Catholics pop up there? Your work of faith your labor of love, and your endurance in hope. hope, Faith, hope, and love. Faith, uh, hope, and love all show up there. But what's weird about them? Pisteos, epidos, I don't know. What's strange? Well, we, what, did, what did you just call them? Say them again. Pistos. No, no. What, in, what do we? The theological virtues. Which are? Faith, hope, and love. But that's not what Paul says. He says faith, love, and hope. Oh. Isn't that kind of weird? But what it does, sorry, this is this is kind of a side note, but what it does, that actually structures the letter. So in the first oh, part of the okay. letter, so, yeah, he's so going to talk the, about faith. Yeah, because normally we, we have a kind of a more catechism approach yeah. because uh, the highest of these is love, whereas... Um, which is interesting because um, this is rumored to be the, and scholars have a tendency to agree that this would actually be the first letter of Paul that we have. That's that's a belief. Yeah, a belief. I think do that's you, true. Do, do I you, think I do. The jury's kind of out on that one. Yeah, I have jury I th- duty I on lean Monday, toward, so I can, I, I can work on that. It's going to be lots of fun. I lean toward that. I'm not 100% sold. I lean that way. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, this is the thing is that it, it's it's always about fittingness. I've never really exactly. investigated. I was I was studying hard to try to make some point that mattered. I, I kind of believe this is a much longer conversation. I kind of believe Galatians might have been first, oh, which is yeah. a very disputed opinion, but I think there's good evidence in the text to suggest it. Well, when we get to some Galatians, yeah, we'll, 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 uh, we'll talk about that. But the, right now, this is the first... So he's setting you up for he's going to talk about faith, he's going to talk about love, and he's going to talk about hope. I, I think he's, but I think the theological virtues and the way that we structure it are correct. Love is the, the biggest one. And I think, I bet the early Christians even understood that idea, faith, hope, and love. So I think seeing it out of order I would actually this. arise people's um, attention. Really? To get them thinking about, oh, okay, so this he wants us to actually look at it this way. Yeah, yeah, like this. Anyway, and he's going to end with this. hope. The, 
the last passage is actually going to, uh, of 1 Thessalonians, is the whole passage about the rapture, or where we get the idea of the rapture from. Because there's a bunch of people in Thessaloniki that have no hope over the people who have died in their lives, because they don't understand the afterlife yet, and they're trying to work through it. So how are we people with hope? So anyway, a little bit of context, but um, da-da-da-da-da. Knowing brothers and sisters, beloved by God, how you were chosen. Now, here's where I think the connection point comes in. For our gospel did not come to you in word alone, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much conviction. Our gospel did not come to you in word alone. How else did the gospel come besides word? Action. Whose actions? Jesus' actions. Who else? Paul's actions. Who else? The apostles' actions. Who else? Your mama's actions. Go back actions. to the first, first reading. Uh, oh, the actions of the nations. The nations, Cyrus the Persian, Caesar Augustus, the people who are persecuting you. Everything, if you have the eyes to see it, actually speaks to the gospel. Yeah. It's not just this book that we've been handed. Actually, God is working through the world. That's the whole point of the first reading. Everything around you speaks to the glory of God if you have the eyes to see it. Even foreign nations, mm. even enemy pagan emperors who are persecuting you have the power to speak the gospel because the Lord is Lord over them. I think, I wonder if that's where the connection point actually lies here. I mean, there's all sorts of political things in Thessaloniki. Yeah. But when he says the gospel didn't come to you in word alone, we don't want to be the kind of people that finds the gospel in Cyrus the Persian. We don't want to be the kind of people who finds the gospel in Barack Obama or in the Republican Party or in whoever it is that we don't like because we think that they're bad. We don't want to do that. But that's how God actually works. And Paul actually says in, well, Luke rather, says in Acts of the Apostles, it was the persecution of the early church that led Christians to go out to the Gentile nations. That's what precipitated them going out to the nations was the fact that they were persecuted in Jerusalem and Judea wanted to kill them. So what did they do? Well, they had to hightail it out of there. And lo and behold, the gospel wound up in places like Thessaloniki and Philippi and Galatia and Rome ultimately. The persecution actually aided the spread of the gospel. Are we willing to be the kind of people that can actually find the, the gospel message in the midst of persecution, through persecution, that we can actually learn from those things because, or are we the kind of people well, that want to believe that, no, this is outside of God. God has nothing to do with this. I'm getting beat up and I need to find my way back to him. I think we can even take it an even step further into our own lives yeah. and say, am I going to be the person who's actually willing to find God even in my broken humanity? Even yes. in the midst of my own shortcomings and my yeah. own kind of wonky um, attitudes towards the world, am I even going to be surrendered in the midst of those things? Yes. That yep. it's, it, I mean, the nations, I mean, it's like, are we going to actually let God even be sovereign in the midst of that? And I have to tell exactly. you, it's really hard. It's real hard. To open my heart and to believe that God will even use the, the stuff inside of me that um, I, I wish that I didn't have inside of me. Yeah. It's it, true. But it's not an excuse. It never is an excuse for conscience things ever. Of course. But, you know, you, you're, you're of true. Course. Of course. Uh, but, um, but I see exactly what you're saying. I mean, you can take this on the most immediate level to even this large, even macro level from the nano to the macro. Yeah. Anyway, that was the connection I saw. I mean, I don't, maybe I'm reading into it too much. I mean, there's lots going on there, but. I mean, I probably, know. but. Thanks, man. <laughs> no, I believe you. So I, I saw, it was, it was something that. I, I found striking, which takes us to the gospel. It really does. And it really take us does to the take gospel. us to the gospel. I mean, that's a good like. 
That's a segue if I've ever ridden on one. <laughs> oh, well played. Hey. Now, I have a surprise in this gospel. You, There's oh, a surprise waiting in here. Dude, and Maybe I, you already know it. I love the Cracker Jack surprise in the gospel, man, when you're like eating and you're like, woo, look at I don't it, know I if you the... know it, though. You might already know it. I may, and if I, don't, if I do, then I'm not going to let on, and if I don't, then I am not going to let on. Awesome. Okay, so here we are. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they meant to trap Jesus in his speech. So, um... I think we mentioned last week chapters twenty two and twenty three are when things yeah. are when things kind of really start heating up for Jesus. He's been kind of going back and forth, telling parables. The Pharisees are trying to push back, but twenty two and twenty three it starts to get real heated, right? Yes. And this is so. Where are they right now? Do you know geographically? Um, I do not know. I mean, I imagine that they're somewhere near the temple. They're actually in it, so they're okay. not in you know in the inner gates, but they're within the gates of the temple at this point. Matthew tells us. Okay. So that's where they're, yeah, that, which is really, really, really important. Okay. Okay, so they're in the temple precincts, right? So the Pharisees went off because they're mad about the parable he just told last time about the uh, the wedding feast, right? Remember For many are last? called, but few are chosen. The this whole, is where we left off right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. They didn't now. have the right wedding garment, that whole thing. So the Pharisees went off because they were ticked, and they plotted how they might entrap Jesus in his speech because everyone's drawn to his teaching, his parables. Shows he's a good rabbi. And they sent their disciples with him, uh, to him, rather, with the Herodians, saying, now, here's here's where it's just kind of funny. I mean, the Pharisees and the Herodians teaming up together is literally like Rush Limbaugh and Nancy Pelosi being like, hey, let's get together and have a bake sale or, or something, right? I mean, picture the two most diametrically opposite political people that you can imagine. Absolutely. This is them, the Pharisees and the Herodians. But they can agree in their hatred of Jesus, so it unites them, right? Yeah. The Pharisees were the ones that were saying, look— we are in sin. We have to clean up our ways. We have to go back to the laws of Deuteronomy. We have to heap other laws on top of that because the only way that we can know God is with us is when we drive out the Romans from this land and we have our land again and we are a kingdom again and everything else. The Herodians are the ones who were employed by the Roman Empire and they have the nice cushy jobs and they're saying, no, everything's fine. I mean, it's cool that the Romans are here. You know, they're not so bad. Everything is everything is good. Status quo, right? Yes. So they have good reason to really despise each other. Yeah. But now they, they gang up. And they go back and they say, teacher. So they're, they're going to start to butter him up now, right? Rabbi, Which you always, you always know when the, when the buttering oh, yeah. up starts happening, the Lord's like, mm, bring it. And it's pretty intense. Rabbi, they never called him rabbi before. We know that you're a truthful man. We know that you're good. And that you teach in the way of God in accordance with the truth. And that you're not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Right? So they're like, okay, this is going to butter him up so that he can speak freely. Prosopon of men. Yeah, isn't that good? Yeah. Greek is always... Uh, is rich. But they're totally buttering him up. So they're like, all right, so tell us, what is your opinion? Just your opinion, that's all we want, right? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Now, here's here's the trap, Right? So there, you got the Herodians and you got the Pharisees. Two different views on this. The Pharisees are probably have been pushing people to not pay the tax because to pay the tax is to actually give money to well, Caesar Augustus was considered a god, right? He declared himself a deity, and so even the coin. I mean, this is a little pagan idol, right? So wouldn't it be considered like it's almost like? Okay, go ahead. No, I don't know where you're going with it. I mean, isn't don't it take kind of surprise. tribute? I mean, it's like tribute yeah, to Caesar. Totally, it's, it's, almo- totally. it's almost akin to burning incense. It is because he is considered a god. That's what the kicker is with all this, is that Caesar is, to, is considered a god. Not, not. I mean, it's bad enough to be giving a tribute, which it really is, to a pagan emperor who's lording over you. But if that pagan emperor is also considered a god, then aren't you 
actually in idolatry, right? That's the question. And it's yeah. it's a fair question, right? And a real tricky one. And a I mean. real one. So if if he says, yeah, pay the tax, they're basically saying, look, he's saying to give to give tribute to a pagan god and to give tribute to this foreign enemy who hates the people of God. So even on spiritual level and a political level, that's a bad move. There were revolt. There was actually a revolt just a couple years before. I made a note. It was... Uh, yeah, Judas the Galilean, in about the year six, he led a tax revolt and got people to stop paying taxes. And so many people got slaughtered because of that. I mean, it was Eesh. a really ugly event that mm. Caesar didn't like not getting his taxes. So if he says, yeah, pay the tax, they're going to come back and be like, great, you just, you're, 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 you're selling out the Jewish people. You're giving money to a foreign god. You're, it's idolatry. It's everything else. If he says, no, don't pay the tax, then the Herodians have one to report him to Caesar and to the Roman authorities. They're going to arrest him. They're probably going to kill him because they're going to call him an insurrectionist. He's going to be like Judas the Galilean. He led a lot of people to their deaths. So, you know, if you say yes, pay the tax, you're an idolater. If you say no, don't pay the tax, then you're a criminal and you're going to get a bunch of people killed. So what do you do? Here's what Jesus does, and it's brilliant. And this is where I don't think people fully see how brilliant what he actually does is. Because there's the teaching that we all get out of this, and then there's what Jesus actually does. Yes. So, knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. So what do they do? They pull out a Roman coin. Denarius, so, yes. So first of all, what do the Pharisees all have? Coins. Where are they? In the temple. What are you not permitted to bring into the temple vicinity? The Oh, oh uh, the things of the nations. No, not specifically. You're close. Remember the money, the idea that there's money changers at the temple? Yeah. The idea behind money changers was that, and, and money changers were a legit business, but the idea was, you know, everybody knew that if you came to Jerusalem, you have to buy and sell animals so that you could sacrifice them in the temple because God commanded it. But we also know that no, because in, according to Deuteronomy, there's no idols, there's no graven images allowed in the temple. Oh. Caesar's coin is a graven image because it's an image of an idol. So that's not permitted in the temple vicinity. So when you came into the temple, you were to change your money from your Roman coinage, which everybody used, which is fine, um, to a Tyran shekel, which was the only kind of currency in the Mediterranean world that had no images on it. It was just a flat disc, a Tyran shekel. So you would change your money, the money changers, and they would charge too much interest and there was corruption and stuff. But what's going on? You have the Pharisees who are the ones who enforced these laws that you did not bring graven images in the temple. Jesus said, hey, pull out one of your coins from your pocket. And they're like, oh, yeah, here you go. Oh. So they've just proven that they have graven images and that they've broken their own laws by bringing Roman money. Not only having, having graven images in their pockets, but they've now brought it into the temple precincts. So I guarantee you everybody in the crowd was like, oh, look at that. They were like, like before Jesus says anything, he's already got them. So we read on because we don't see the context. And we're like, oh, give unto Caesar. But he already got them way before that. Just pulling it out of their pockets. They've broken their own law. And even if it is the Herodians, they're teaming up with the Pharisees now. So they're in, they're in cahoots with this, right? Yeah, yeah. So he says, why are you testing me? Show me one of the coins that pays the census tax. And they handed him the Roman coin, and he said to them, whose image is this and whose inscription? They said, well, Caesar's. And he said to them, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. Now, we, I think the other problem with this is that we sometimes don't read the second half of this. We hear the give unto uh, Archbishop Shapiro, that great book, Render Under Caesar, Right. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So what is Caesar's? Caesar's oh, taxes, our money, our financial situation. But this is where we as Christians get really messed up with this because we see this as a false dichotomy. 
okay, I'll give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and then I'll give the things to God that are God's. Now, what belongs to God? So we said, what are Caesar's? Taxes, some money things, financial issues, politics. What belongs to God? I mean, us, our whole being, everything that we are and do and say and think. I mean, the entirety of our being. I think you're limiting it. I think even that limits it. It's not just us. What belongs to God? creation. Everything is God's. So we as Christians, we read this and we create this weird false dichotomy. We're like, okay, this is Caesar's. And because that's Caesar's, it is not God's. Here's my taxes. Here's my financial situation. Here's my political affiliations. That's not God's because it's Caesar's. No, no. Give to God what's God's. What's God's? All of that stuff too. Even the stuff that you gave to Caesar is still God's. What else is God's? Caesar is God's. Just like Cyrus the Persian is God's. Yes. It's not a false dichotomy. It is a both and. So yes, do the things that you have to do. Like Paul says in Romans 13, be subject to the authorities. That's fine. Pay the taxes. But realize that all of it, the money that you pay in taxes, your vote, your politics, your politicians, the people around you, all of it belongs to God. Yes. And again, we make such a big mistake when we read that that way. And I, it's actually, it's actually one of the passages I hate most. Not because I hate the passage, but because I hate what people do with it. Oh, render unto Caesar these things. And then give God the rest of the stuff. Give him kind of what's left. No, all of it has to go to him or else none of it is meaningful. Yeah, which so, which is the connecting tissue between everything. All of it. I mean, all of it. Because give to God history. Yeah. Give to God space and time. Yeah. Give to God all things like say, and I mean, this is my favorite book is Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. Oh, yeah. Which is at the core of the whole thing is saying like, no, there is a providential hand of God that is guiding everything. Yes, exactly. Everything. And that's the key. And that's what these readings are all for as much theological sophistication and, and, you know, cool, interesting facts and figures. That's all that all these readings are saying is that God to God belongs everything. <laughs> Even the monster truck rally they headed to. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That was really good. Yeah. Dude, I'm I'm really thankful that you studied. Yay. I studied too. I know. I could it tell. Was, it was good. It was good. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, for um uh, surrendering all of creation to the Lord. All of it. All of it. Even Facebook and Pinterest and Facebook, Twitter. Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, your Facebook? emails to us. Facebook. Oh. Is there a, is there, I, that sounds like a good site to have, Facebook. <laughs> uh. Except for it would never win because Facebook has like, it was really funny. I watched a talk the other day and it said, Facebook is the first, uh, it's the first company to ever have more than a billion um, uh, users. I can't be right. And I was like. The Catholic Church has 1.6 billion, but we're not a company, we're a church. So and they're not subscribed to our website. They are not. So, dude, that would be awesome if they were subscribed to our, our podcast. They will be. Trust me. We have 1.6 billion downloads. We will crush your server. That will crush the server. All right, everybody. We will be back next week. It, unless there's some sort of catastrophic rapture. Which could be, and in which case we'll still be here, so maybe you'll be taken. <laughs> Um, yeah, find us on Facebook. Facebook. Um, find us on Pinterest. Tweet us on Twitter. Tweet us on Twitter. And don't fake the phone. Don't fake it. See you next week, everybody. God bless you. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org You can also send us an email 
at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.